This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson, and today I'm joined uh, with my by my friend uh, Duke Rivard, who's the director of the Soma Family of Churches, which is a growing family of churches in North America that are organized organized around missional communities uh, and planting churches and growing strong churches in cities across North America. Duke, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brad. Glad to be here. Yeah, and we one of the reasons for this episode was we were texting back and forth quite a bit during the NBA Finals. Uh, it was pretty fun. You uh, lived in the Bay Area for a while, and uh, I'm a big LeBron James fan. And we we sort of had this banter back and forth, and then I realized, man, there's there's a lot here to talk about teamwork. Uh, there's a lot here that could probably help a lot of folks. Uh, so yeah, thanks for joining me and being willing to to do something a little out of the norm, uh, where we talk a little bit about sports that hardly ever happens on the Saturate podcast. Sure, no, glad to be here. It'll be fun to yeah, it's been fun to geek out a little bit on on the NBA and and to yeah, certainly look at some of the dynamics that are there and maybe maybe learn from. So for our listeners who aren't very much into the NBA. Uh, this year and the last four years, there have been the same two teams have played in the finals, uh, the Golden State Warriors uh, out of the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, made up of a lot of talent that they uh, drafted, that they've developed over the years uh, based on fundamentals, and they're really, really good. Uh, and then they've played the Cleveland Cavaliers, which are all built around LeBron James probably the greatest, you know, athlete of his generation in any sport in the world. Uh, he just decided to play basketball and he's actually dominated it quite a bit. Uh, yet over those four years, the Cleveland Cavaliers won one championship and the Warriors won three. Uh, there's a lot of drama that goes into that that we're not going to talk about. Uh, but that kind of sets the table, I think, because Duke, as we watch that sort of unfold, you just saw a lot of big, uh, yeah, sort of cultural differences between those two teams and how they function. And I think it relates a lot to how most teams work. No, uh, absolutely. Grew up, you know, was in the Bay Area for a couple of years. And, and as a part of that, even being on mission and mission community, just about every party I went to or anyone's house that I went to, the Golden State Warriors were on. <laughs> and so, and <laughs> Even at the beginning of the year, they were they were on a tear to set the record for the most consecutive wins to start a season, like twenty five or twenty six. And oh, so, yeah. at the very start of the season, everybody was tuning in like it was the playoffs to see if they were going to keep their streak alive. So mm-hmm. it was it was literally like every you know three nights a week, people were watching the Warriors, and if you you know so I was just completely immersed in it. And mm-hmm. so before that, I, I'll be completely honest, I was not a Golden State fan. I didn't know that much about it. Uh, but just being in the culture, being with people, and honestly being in front of a TV enough times watching them, I just sort of was forced to kind of pay attention. Um, and of course, like you, you said, four years they've been playing the, the Cavs in the finals, so it's it's just been like a year long sort of, and actually a four year long um, observation of 
the, the dynamic that's there. Um, and it has been interesting. And I, I'll say one of the most interesting things about Twitter, there's lots of reasons to use Twitter. Twitter is probably my social <laughs> media platform of choice. But NBA Twitter is pretty amazing. Yeah, it <laughs> and is. If, if, you know, it's highly entertaining uh, to, to have running alongside watching the game. Uh, it's highly entertaining just to see the banter that goes back and forth. Uh, but there's also quite a bit of, of insiders who you can you observe. And so over the years, I'm also just picking up and, and following certain people and, and seeing mm-hmm. all the kind of in-depth uh, statistical observations that are being made and Thing, you know, stigmas about players being disproved <laughs> with the statistics and all kinds of things, um, you know, emerging. But yeah, I, I think this this year and really the past four years, you've seen what you described, like the old, like a very very balanced team approach with the Warriors, where they're setting records with like mm-hmm. assists in a game, like thirty assists a game, tons of ball movement, tons of defense, really you know smart play, and then LeBron who can kind of just out athlete anybody at any point right. um, and then some bit players around him uh, some some years more than others having you know also some real star talent around him right uh, but almost not mattering to a certain degree who's around him he's going all the way to the finals either way uh, right. at least in, so yeah interesting dynamic lots of lots of parallels to, to leadership there yeah and I, I think that's one of the one of the more fascinating things about the whole thing just as a cultural phenomenon is uh, I'm and I'm even one of those people that just loves LeBron James. Like thinks, wow, I get to live in a time where he's playing basketball, and I, I'm basically the same age as LeBron. So uh, sometimes my wife reminds me of like, what have you accomplished? Look at him, uh, just as tongue in cheek. But uh, LeBron is uh, this incredible sort of like hero type that people love and clamor for. Whereas the Warriors outside of the Bay Area and a few like bandwagon fans uh, are actually pretty reviled uh, because they just work so well as a team, you know, Um, whereas LeBron is really praised. And I think that kind of speaks even to even in our church culture or even leading missional communities. we, We like the idea of this massive personality or incredibly gifted, talented individual who kind of by their sheer strength pulls a church or pulls a community uh towards mission or something like that uh we we even find that i think more uh romantic than we find like the team approach of everyone having their role being really good at uh a few fundamental things sticking to it over the long haul yeah, that was, it's a very true. Our culture at large seems to be obsessed with with celebrity. The NBA has staked their claim certainly on on like the superstar, and has built it much more around the superstar than they have the team. Mm-hmm. And so, for years, you had the Kobe Bryant, the Allen Iverson types, and even the past many of the MVPs <laughs> are mm-hmm. guys who kind of play hero ball. You know, they don't, right. they're not actually the best teammates. Westbrook's not the best teammate. Harden, I don't think it's the best teammate. I mean, in, in terms of even like the, the, the way that the game is played, right. uh, it's, it's a more individualistic approach. And then the, the crazy sort of microcosm of the Warriors is that they're playing, I think the game more the way it was intended <laughs> when mm. it was invented, which was this really team sport, uh, every single person being on a, a chain together, sort of working in concert, and right. it's actually more effective. But 
but you're right. I think in, in ministry, we often gravitate to celebrity. We gravitate to that, the strong man, so to speak, or the smart, the smart woman, the, the person who has all the answers more mm-hmm. than lots of just normal, humble people who in, in unity and in dependence on the Lord are actually incredibly potent when they stay after it uh, over, the, over the long haul. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, for us, as we try to apply uh, and run towards teamwork uh, within that ministry context, what do you think is important? How do you build an effective team? Yeah, I think somebody has to be thinking about that question. Um, and I don't, hmm. I'm not always convinced that somebody is actively or attentively thinking about how to build a team. Um, I think so that that's really huge. And that person has to inhabit the kind of the present future of the organization and, and start to think about building what's missing uh, hmm. or reforming what's broken. You know, if there's something about the current team that just doesn't quite work. Um, and so part of that is built part of building it is being a student of your own organization, knowing kind of who you are, what you already hmm. have in place. Uh, we, we, there's lots of histories littered with lots of examples of even businesses that kind of forgot what their core business was and just got right. way far afield from that and to their own demise. Uh, teams can do that. They can kind of forget what got them to where they are. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it, it was defense and then they stopped playing defense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's kind of like you really have to know what you have and, and, and celebrate that, you know, and build on that. Uh, and then you got to know what you don't have, you know, and fill gaps, address needs, that mm. kind of thing. But, but it, all of that kind of assumes somebody is sitting in that GM general manager seat and is mm. thinking about what you have, what you don't have all the time. Um, and it's mm. giving, you know, quite a bit of, of energy to it. Um, and not everybody's great at that. You know, there are certain mm. people who are great preachers, uh, great vision casters who may not be a great GM, you know, yeah. they may not be the be- the right person to sit in that seat and really think about the team. Um, you know, and, and others are, but it, it's certainly an attentive, and I'll just start there. I think somebody who's attentive to studying the organization, really knowing what's there and really knowing what's not there and being committed to sort of building the team that's needed for the season ahead. Yeah, that's often a, a forgotten role. I even had that experience this last week. That's something that I've really enjoyed doing is building teams. But then I was on a, on a coaching call with a leader in Japan, and he was asking me about some tools that you can put in place to, to help a team function and thrive. And as I was talking to him about it, I was like, oh, man, I haven't done any of this work in Los Angeles yet. Uh, which is probably, which is, might be good. You know, I've been getting a lay of the land and understanding who we are as a people and as elders and deacons and missional community leaders and stuff. But I was actually really convicted of like, oh yeah, I've kind of taken my eye off that ball of, you know, building an actual team. Yeah, no, it's huge. I know a guy that I've been really influenced by in, and I study, you know, Silicon Valley and, and startups because we do so much with church planting. And I think there's a lot of parallels with, with startups and church plants. But there's a guy named Vinod Kosla who started Sun Microsystems and mm-hmm. is now been a venture capitalist since the 80, 80s, is extremely wealthy in that. But he, he basically argues that a founder of a startup should spend 40% of their time building the right team, mm-hmm. uh, especially the first 10 core leaders. And says, you know, the first 10 core leaders are really what the org will be and what it, what it will become. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in a, in a church context, you might not always have the luxury of having like 10 full-time staff per se, 
in every church. Uh, but 10 core leaders is, is a good way to think about it. That's, that right. is your staff elders, your lay elders, your core deacons, maybe some really core coaches or MC leaders that are going to be the bedrock, you know, pillars mm-hmm. of your church. And the, the attention that you give to getting to that place is the highest leverage thing you do, <laughs> you know, yeah. because if you get the right 10 people at the core, well, the thing's going to, to really become a representation of who they are and of their hard work and their, their cohesion together as a team. You don't have the right people uh, or you don't have enough people or leaders, then well, you, we've all seen the organizations and what happens. Um, they just, yeah. even with a great idea and a great strategy, it doesn't really matter. You're not able to do a whole lot uh, if you don't have, you don't have the people. Yeah. So then I think that kind of leads to the question of like, how do you, how do you get the right people? And even uh, uh, to use that Golden State Warriors versus the LeBron James scenario, uh, Golden State, now most people describe them as a super team. But outside of Kevin Durant, uh, they were all people that they have uh, pursued or drafted kind of in the margins and people that were often overlooked, like not the number one or number two draft picks. Um, Whereas you also have the way the Cleveland Cavaliers built the team was sort of lucking into LeBron James coming back to their team and then frantically trying to just find the most talented people available and adding them to it. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you think that you go about that with like uh, developing your own super team when you don't yeah. have the people right there? Absolutely. I think you've always got to be recruiting. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, if you're in a nonprofit, you're always raising money. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you if you're in a, a GM seat and you're trying to build a team, you're always kind of recruiting. You're always got an eye on talent. And in most cases, talent to poach. <laughs> it's talent that's yeah. already doing really great work somewhere else, um, you know, and, and not somebody necessarily who's been out of work for two years. Um, and so you're, you're always looking for, for those people. You're always kind of have an eye out for people. Um, and then really you're kind of, um, yeah, you're, you're greedy for more leaders in a good way. You're, mm. you're not satisfied. Even if you have 10 great leaders, it's like, why wouldn't we go yeah. find two or three others? You know, why wouldn't we go find 10 others? Um, yeah. if, if our vision is big enough, if our vision's for our whole city, if our vision is to be a church planting church, if, our, if we, we're all about multiplication, mm-hmm. we can't really have too many leaders. Um, and so if you've decided, particularly a church of missional communities, it's only as strong as, as the leadership of a particular right. community. Uh, and you know you're going to multiply, what, 20? What's your vision? I mean, do you want 100 in, in L.A.? Do you want right. 500 employees in L.A.? Yeah. Um, it's like L.A. could, could house, you know, 5,000 MCs very right. easily and not be reached. So how many leaders do you need? It's like, well, Brad, you need 5,000. Right. So when are, you, when are you done recruiting? It's like never. You know, you'll <laughs> never be done looking for – for leaders. And so you're always attentive to that. You're always aware of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in Golden State's, you know, situation, I mean, yeah, you have a GM and then, you know, those guys get the credit perhaps Jerry West and, and Bob Myers, but then you've always got recruiting coordinators. These are people who are just looking for talent all the time. Right. And, and typically they have some kind of grid that they, that fits their culture. Yeah. You know, there's some really amazing talent in the NBA that I don't think would fit with the Golden State. You know, mm-hmm. um, and you say, but that guy's a freak. He's amazing. Like I would right. not, as a Golden State fan, I would not want Westbrook or Harden on the team. Um, there, there are certain guys I just wouldn't even want on the team because their style of ball is actually um, brake pedals to right. what makes Golden State great. 
Um, yeah. Not to say they're not individually great. They are. It's just they don't fit the culture and the system mm-hmm. of what of what Golden State has built. Um, yeah, so you look at knowing your culture, you have to – this goes back to being a student of who you are mm-hmm. because you can misalign fairly quickly by going and getting people – that don't fit. I mean, mm-hmm. best I can understand Golden State. I mean, they went after really smart players like Iggy Dalla. They built around a veteran who was super widely believed to be like one of the smartest players in the NBA. Yeah. Draymond's one of the smartest guys. He's, he actually helped with the draft this year. <laughs> um, you can see he's going to be like, a, he's going to be a coach. He's going to be coaching or yeah. working basketball for the next 40 years. He's highly intelligent. Um, you know, Curry and, and, and Clay Thompson, both NBA kids. So they were like reared in NBA. That's all they know. Um, yeah. Their whole life has essentially been that. So their IQ is very, very high. They get smart players. They get guys who are two-way players. They get a ton of guys who really play defense and, not, yeah. and offense um, and, and, and team guys mm-hmm. with high character mm-hmm. kind of humility guys that um, really don't aren't as worried about the egos. And mm-hmm. and that's why four years there in the championship, which I think is totally different than why LeBron has been there four right. times. Right. Um, you mentioned his athleticism. He's been there because he's a, he's, he's a freak of nature athletically. Yeah. They've been there in a, in a sense because of, I think that I think Steph Curry's humility. Um, have you watched championship teams? This happened to Shaq and Kobe. Yeah. After a while, championship te- teams, sometimes egos creep in and, and sometimes even greed around money creeps in. Yeah. And that hasn't happened so far at Golden State. And I mm-hmm. think Curry is a huge part of that. He just was he was not threatened by Katie joining the team and him him maybe being the face of the franchise. Yeah. It was like, that's great. I just want to win. You mm-hmm. know? And with money, certain guys, Draymond took a pay cut. Um, KD actually took less than he could have gotten elsewhere. Guys are taking less money because they want to be a part of something right. uh, great, which is I think it just speaks to like kind of humility and team before individual, mm-hmm. which certainly applies to any organization, church or, or mission community. I think that relates a lot to why teamwork uh, as a, as a ministry leadership philosophy uh, is, is waning in the Western church uh, because there is that ego and drive for maybe even credit or a lack of humility and sometimes even greed that keeps churches from building effective like leadership teams. Um, yeah, I think that that's actually uh, a reality um, of do we, are we okay not being viewed on the outside as the face of the church, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So you, it gets into your scorecard, right? You know, uh, one thing I'm, I've seen, and I just saw a statistic that uh, maybe even this week, that was saying essentially the scorecard is changing with younger leaders. Mm-hmm. And I think guys like JD Greer, he just wrote a book called um, gaining is losing or gaining by losing. Yeah. Uh, which is basically saying our metric is going to be sending and raising up others. Um, some of the guys are do- with catalyst are doing stuff around hero maker, which is like, Hey, my, I'm going to, my metric is going to be the guys that and the teams that I raise up and send other places. Right. Uh, that's going to be the thing we celebrate versus, me being the hero. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's a massive thing in the church. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll drop a little stat that I think is, is very disturbing, but uh, Rich Plass with, with cross point ministries did a deep, I think did doctoral work on narcissism and clergy. And he says that narcissism and clergy is 400% higher than the general population. Wow. So you do have people who really like having lots of eyeballs on them mm-hmm. every week. They like having 
lots of people attentive to them. So it, it it's a ha- it's an occupational hazard that certain people would want to be seen as a big deal. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be a big deal, then you got to touch stuff. Um, and it's not as celeb- celebratory if somebody else gets to go and do. Um, and so multiplication, true multiplication, true leadership development, yeah. true equipping of others for the work of ministry isn't as exciting as doing what you do real well in front of the crowd. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think we've got to get to scorecard. I think we've got to be honest about humility versus mm-hmm. pride and, and the difference it makes in an organization over time. That was one of the things that was actually pretty convicting for me as I try to evaluate, and I, this might sound so silly, like why do I like LeBron James so much uh, and why there were certain things that happened. So for people that don't know, uh, LeBron played one of the best games anyone has played in the finals in game one. And in the end of the game, they had a chance to win. The ball fa- fell to one of his teammates, J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith didn't understand the score and actually dribbled the wrong way, like away from the basket instead of towards it to score and win. Uh, and LeBron like looked at this guy who had just failed uh, massively and publicly but the shame and the anger that he like felt toward like that he expressed super visibly towards him and his coaches. And then like later they say that he broke his hand, all of that sort of stuff um, kind of revealed some of his character, I, I would say um, even towards the end of the, the series after they had lost, he put a cast on his hand to make it look like that was kind of an excuse. Like if he was fully healthy, maybe it would have been different kind of thing. And I guess the the main thing that you could take away from LeBron, despite his incredible talent, there's still this incredible weight of shame there. Uh, and I think that one of the reasons that I like LeBron is because I identify with him so much, not in like physical skills. Um, but I, I, I think I've had that same look on my face, at least, or that same posture in my heart towards other teammates throughout the years, or even in my own missional community. Like, why can't these people just do it right? Uh, why can't they like live up to my talent level? Uh, and then when things go bad, I just sort of waffle in shame uh, or, or try to cover it up and things like that. And I think that that's honestly pretty prevalent. Uh, I think that's me, but that might be you too, (laughs) as a listener. Um, yeah. How do you, Duke sort of view that narcissism and try to, to walk forward from that. Yeah, no, that's, that is really interesting. Cause I, I think we talk about team We're really, there's a culture to a team, mm-hmm. you know, there's this, there's the skills, the raw skills and talents that are assembled in a, in a group of people. Yeah. But then there's just the atmospheric reality, which is more like how excited are we to go to work together? How right. excited are we to jump into mission together? How, how much do we enjoy being together? And, and that's something it's, it's somewhat hard to measure. You can't measure it as a stat in Mm -hmm. in like say basketball, you really can't measure it in a stat in terms of fruitfulness on mission per se. Although over time, you know it when it's not there and you know it when it's there. Um, And so what, what was interesting about LeBron, what you're describing is, and there's a lot of now with YouTube, gosh, there's, there's a camera everywhere. (laughs) Right. They actually had a camera on him for four minutes during that timeout when everybody else was watching commercials and they, they released that footage later with J.R. Smith after he'd screwed up. And it got even worse, you mm-hmm. know, once we were watching commercials on how much he was just shaming J.R., you yeah. know, and, and, and then how much he pretty much just took over the huddle and was 
basically like the coach had no real authority in the situation. Right. Um, and so, it, you know, LeBron is the operating center of, of the thing in a huge disproportionate way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've actually seen lots of mistakes, um, you know, with Golden State, and I don't think that's that's the the culture. Mm-hmm. And so it makes a difference over time if guys yeah. are publicly disrespected and shamed and and undervalued and, and humiliated versus honored, and the team takes collective responsibility for right. not winning. Um, as you know, any team, any game. Lots of mistakes are made throughout a course of a game. You know, the last one is the one we highlight and we look at. But in that particular situation, the teammate missed a free throw. Right. <laughs> he just missed a free throw. <laughs> you know, they, they win. Uh, yeah. There's all kinds of if, – if, yeah. There's a, if Durant blocks out and makes a play against a much shorter player, then they get a rebound and JR doesn't even have the ball. I mean, there's lots of people right. making mistakes um, mm-hmm. along the way. Uh, but at any rate, um, yeah, I think we – we absolutely have to be attentive to our own our own shame. I just I just read a book recently uh, called The Soul of Shame, hmm. and uh, and in it, basically one of the the key phrases uh, that stuck out to me was that shamed people shame people. Hmm. <laughs> I know we, we talk about hurt, we've all said before that hurt people hurt people, um, and I, I think that's a it's probably just a continuation of of kind of that idea. Uh, but yeah, this guy Kurt Thompson is a, is a kind of an MD and, and maybe a psychologist, but he's done a ton of work on neuroscience and shame and p- pathways and the stories we tell ourselves. But mm-hmm. the premise of this book is essentially shame is a story we tell our, about ourselves that we're fundamentally broken. Mm-hmm. And uh, when things don't go wrong, that maybe confirm that often we blame shift and shame others yeah. um, as a way of trying to displace that, that really horrible feeling we have when we feel shame. So the answer is, of course, the gospel. We have to inhabit a new story, a new mm-hmm. story about who we are, which isn't fundamentally flawed or broken, defined by our screw-ups, defined mm-hmm. by our failures, but defined by Christ and his perfect righteousness, his, his perfect sacrifice, uh, mm-hmm. his resurrection. Um, and so I think at the core of everything we, we do is the gospel, and the, and the gospel is the only real uh, antidote to shame, mm-hmm. and antidote, and, but which ends up being the healthiest thing for a team dynamic right. or, or a mission dynamic is the gospel is not just the message but it really is the operating center or atmosphere yeah uh, so you think and you know when you're in an atmosphere of grace mm. or an atmosphere of shame yeah. where it's like uh, perfectionism is often um a mask or or an aspect of a culture of shame mm-hmm. uh, certainly like a, a real critical spirit of scrutiny mm-hmm. where anything that's done poorly is is mocked you know right. and, and shame uh, that's somewhat NBA Twitter. Yeah, is <laughs> more of a culture of shame than a culture of gospel. Definitely, uh, but yeah, you, you kind of know it when you see it. Yeah, yeah, and that's. I think that's such a powerful reality. Is that uh, I think it's easy to separate like staffing decisions or leadership functions or responsibilities and roles and. Uh, you know, team meeting agendas to like separate that and say, well, that's a different thing than living and preaching the gospel. Uh, and I think that's like what you're saying is just so important that that the gospel itself of Jesus, uh, his life, his death, his resurrection for us, his Holy Spirit living in us, grace, uh, mercy, new identity is actually the operating system for a healthy team and and even any healthy team. Yeah. 
And what's what's really screwy and it can mess with your mind a little bit is when a, a team is so good at articulating the gospel mm-hmm. in all the right ways, yeah. in ways that you'd be like, yes, you'd be, amen every single thing that comes from their mouth, but yet they're still lacking the atmosphere of grace. Yeah. There's still something about it that has not really impacted their hearts enough for that to be the culture that they then lead and create in their midst. Right. Uh, so it's really confusing. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, wait a minute, you're saying all the right things and I'm not sure that this is actually, <laughs> um, is actually hitting your heart yet, right. you know, uh, and it's certainly not informing how you handle some of these situations that are coming up. Right. Um, you're handling it in an old story way and it's shame and it's performance and it's, um, hey, I'll give you one chance, but if you screw up, I'm done with you and moving on to someone else. And, right. Um, you know, all those kinds of things. Yeah. That kind of goes back to the, the Cleveland Cavaliers season as well. And some of the symptoms, at least I think, that build a, a shame-based uh, team culture is uh, there's all sorts of passive aggression, you know, throughout their whole season. Uh, their coach had to take time off because he had uh, such an anxiety health issue around leading a team like that. Um, they, they blamed each other publicly. Uh, even after the game one mistakes, you know, J.R. Smith was like, well, it was LeBron. It looked like he wanted to call timeout. So that's why I stopped. And then, uh, LeBron is just like, I don't know what to say. You know, I've just got to get up and leave. And, and even within that team, people don't know who's going to stick around and who's going to be there, uh, which you just sort of compare that to the Warriors season, which also had, you know, similar like struggles of people getting hurt and good times and bad times. But, you know, they had a coach that was full of like confidence and always telling them how much he loves his players uh, when they would fail uh, they would encourage one another. They would fail as a team, as you said. Um, no one was out there trying to say like, well, yeah, obviously we're going to win because I'm so good. Uh, it was more of a confidence in, in themselves and the process, uh, which I think is just powerful. And I just pray that we can all taste that uh, within our own within our own missional communities that we can have that. Like we don't just like look at people as weak links, but we look at them as truly members of the body where each member is building the other one up and each member is crucial uh, or that we can even see that as our leadership teams as our church. I think that would be uh, quite a revolutionary thing for the church in America. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I, I've thought about this a little bit, like, you know, they do atmospheric tests. Well, maybe in cities like LA for small. <laughs> they definitely do. <laughs> Certainly in places in, in China and whatnot where the air quality is really, really bad. Um, I think there's something to be said for in a in a missional community or a church mm-hmm. having some means of, of checking the atmospheric quality mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of grace. Um, is this a place? And you, you'll know it when the when when the air is funky, um, when people don't accept. It's not easy for someone to take responsibility when they screw up. Yeah, that's that's a a metric. Is it easy in this culture to accept responsibility? Does it feel like? someone's kindness leads you to repentance, you know, like it's a kind culture to be a sinner in or no, 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 you better not. You better, you better. I heard about one church where a guy was had a military background, but he's like in this church, you better watch your six, which is like, you know, on the clock, it's like, watch your back because you screw up like you, it'll, it'll not go well. Um, and, and so you can have cultures where it's just not okay to screw up, mm-hmm. which also the other, other metric is really related to risk taking hmm. in the most free and gracious cultures. People can take risks because 
they're really not that their whole identity isn't riding mm-hmm. on the certain success of what they're doing. Uh, they can, which makes you much more innovative and much more intelligent on the whole. Uh, you try more things and, and more things that are effective because you've got the freedom to fail. And people are like, hey, that we learned from that. That was great. Thanks for taking us taking a chance. Thanks. You know, if it was an informed risk and it was like a godly risk, yeah. um, hey, it didn't work out, but that's awesome. Like you stepped out in faith and you went for it. Mm-hmm. Like that's all. Like let's do more of that. Not okay. You, next time, everything has to be perfect success in this church because we've got a triumphalism of we do everything just right and we hide anything that's not that so then you get to hiding how much is hiding there Mm -hmm. um can can sinners can can leadership be sinners in public Mm -hmm. uh you know what kind of sins can be talked about what kind of sins can't i mean there's i would i I would i you could come up with a diagnostic you know of five to seven variables that would test atmospheric quality in terms of grace culture versus shame culture within an mc or a church and it, it is a part of our witness, mm-hmm. you know, because there's the, there's the content of the gospel, which is critical, but I, I do think people, they can smell us mm. too. Uh, they can smell the joy of our salvation or just the, the exhaustion of legalism or right. um, grace. I'm like, man, these people are just so loving or, man, they're just kind of cold. Right. And it feels like everybody's out for themselves, mm-hmm. um, even, even if our message is, 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 is right on. Yeah, that's so to me like exciting, convicting all at the same time and and I think that it is an area that we often overlook. Uh we often just look at like the metrics that we have in our heads of well, even within a missional community-minded church, like well, how many MCs do we have? How how like how is that going? How many how many multiplications are we going to have this year or or things like that? when really we kind of miss the the atmosphere that we're actually creating the, the the team culture and looking out for those things and being on guard for that. Uh, is it a blame guilt, uh, you know, a shaming based atmosphere or is it totally just bathed in the gospel? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Duke, are there any uh, resources? Uh, I don't know. Videos or uh, books that that people can read to dive into this. You've referred to a few, but yeah, no, I think there are. I I think some of we talked on the front about team building and about recruiting. I think you do have to spend a lot of time on recruiting. And you're always looking, but then once you actually have some some potential candidates, like what do you do with that? Um, yeah, there's and maybe we could put them in the show notes. Yeah, uh, with this, but. Node Kosla, who I mentioned, he does have a couple of articles. One is called, I think, The Art and Science of, of Hiring. Another one is called Gene Pool Engineering, where basically saying you're trying to engineer your gene pool because who you hire is going to be who else joins you. And yeah. it's, you're going to start to be like that core of leaders. Um, and then there's a video he's got on team building, which I think is really great um, on, on YouTube. So those are there. Uh, Sam Altman's got another article, another guy down in Silicon Valley that I think is, is helpful on, on recruiting and hiring process. Of course, with anything, I always say that, you know, I got to make a caveat that you always got to do translation work. Yeah. You're reading outside <laughs> direct discipline and you're, there's things that aren't going to apply, but there's a whole lot of meat there as well. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, very, very helpful. Um, so yeah, I would just, I would, um, I'll, I'll, we could forward those on and, and allow people to kind of take a, take a look at them. Thanks Duke. That's awesome uh, work. Thank you for, yeah, giving us the time today and, and hopefully for you, the listener, that's been encouraging and challenging and uh, we'll, we'll post those 
those things in the show notes as well as some other resources that we can point you to just to begin thinking about uh, leading effective teams uh, in light of the gospel, not opposed to it. And thanks for being patient with our NBA stuff if you're not super into basketball. Uh, But I do know some of you are, so I'm sure some of you did appreciate this. And uh, yeah, thank you as always for listening. If you have any questions, please reach out to us and connect uh, via email. You can write us at hello at saturatetheworld.com. And as always, too, give us a review if this has been helpful. Uh, That helps other people find us and continue this conversation even more and more. Thanks for joining us. We will be talking again soon. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.